This episode of the Internal Comms Podcast is brought to you by Acid Test, AB's unique and powerful tool for aligning organisations around a common cause. Now, we all know communication does not equal understanding. If it did, well, our jobs would be a lot easier. The acid test of internal communication is whether there is shared understanding. Is the goal clear? Are we all pulling in the same direction? Do we share the same priorities, the same purpose? Acid test is a powerful tool that reveals knowledge gaps inside organisations. Its unique and proven methodology gives you the insight and information you need to drive performance by creating deeper understanding and alignment. Now, listeners, you know how fond I am of asking open, probing questions that hopefully reveal fresh and genuine insight. Acid Test is not a tick box survey. Instead, the method is a message. Simply taking part in acid tests makes employees feel heard, understood and valued. Visit abcom.co.uk forward slash acid test to find out more. Download a PDF to discuss with your team and arrange an informal call to discuss acid test with me and my AB colleagues. So that address again for you, abcom, abcom.co.uk forward slash acid test. Now is the time to take a privileged peek inside the mind of your organisation by asking the questions that matter. Acid test, a communications audit without the autocomplete. Welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. This show is about improving the way we communicate with each other at work. Now, you might be a podcast addict like me, or perhaps you're just dipping your toe into the balmy waters of this relatively new audio format. Either way, the stats don't lie. Podcasting is, by every measure, the fastest growing publishing platform. More than half of the US population, 55%, have some experience of podcast listening. But globally, the US isn't home to the highest number of listeners. South Korea tops the chart for monthly podcast listens, followed by Spain, Ireland and Sweden. So basically, wherever your employees are based many of them are likely to at least be familiar with this medium. Now, I was really tempted to call this show everything you wanted to know about podcasting for an internal audience, but were afraid to ask. (laughs) But that's way too long. So instead, I'll just introduce my guest. Brian Landau is an authority in podcasting. He has spent an entire career in all things audio, from content creation to distribution. He was the Executive Vice President of Strategy at the podcast network Cadence 13, Senior Director of Corporate Development at the influencer marketing company IZA, and spent nearly five years at Westwood One, 
the largest audio broadcast network in America. Today, Brian is co-founder and CEO of Venly. Now, that's an audio platform that enables businesses to share their audio content seamlessly and securely across their existing internal and external channels. And I do ask Brian to talk about his solution because I'm frequently asked about the best ways of distributing podcasts internally and about measuring success. In particular, I'd say listen out for Brian talking about a shift from measuring listens per content to actions per content. It's also worth saying that Brian walks the talk by hosting his own brilliant podcast called The Drip. So please enjoy this masterclass in all things audio. Brian, I am so excited to have you on the show because this is someone that I can really geek out with about audio. We said we'd have an audio fest, so I'm so excited to have you on the show. You know, there are these rites of passage in life that you expect, graduation, weddings, kids, and then there's rites of passage that are unexpected, like joining the Katie McCauley podcast. And (laughs) in some ways, they're just as meaningful and just as important. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate it. I've got to live up to something now. Now, to introduce yourself, we've already said you and I share a real passion for audio, but the difference is you have spent an entire career in this medium. So off the bat, just to set some context, what is it that attracts you to audio? And I wonder if you could share with us some, maybe some highlights of your career. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I'll say that working in audio today is a lot more attractive than it was even three years ago. Uh, I know that that isn't a direct answer to your question, but part of what's attractive about audio is that it now matters a lot. It's table stakes for communicators, and it's exciting to be working in an industry that is not only relevant, but critical to how companies will continue to engage with their internal and external stakeholders. But to more directly answer your question, you know, I think I'm personally attracted to audio and I think many people are attracted to audio because of its authenticity. There's this terrible joke in audio circles that someone has a face for audio. (laughs) Yes. And of course, this means that even a physically unattractive person could be successful in audio. And I always cringe when I hear that expression because I think it's quite mean. But there's a very important truth to it, which is that there isn't a visual bias in audio. It's someone's voice. There's an intimacy to the experience, and I really do believe that because audio doesn't have a visual bias and because it's much more affordable to create than and produce than video, audio has democratized communication in really important ways. You mentioned I've I've worked in audio throughout my career, and I've been really fortunate to hold executive positions at companies that have been on the cutting edge of both influencer marketing and podcasting. And I think it's offered me a, a rarefied insight into how people, audio, brand, and distribution can work meaningfully together. I've been lucky to work on shows like Pod Save America and with individual mega talent like the technology journalist and podcaster Kara Swisher. And I just want to put that into context for someone who might not be in the States that's listening. So I know at one point in your career, you were with Westwood One. So I think, you know, the largest audio network in the US. And just putting that into context, something like 250 million monthly users. Would that be about fair for that whole network? Yeah, it's a it's a you know a billion dollar radio company, and so it's nationally yeah. syndicated shows as opposed to owning radio stations. It's shows that get syndicated across the country, and lots of uh, incredibly premium properties. A lot of sports actually. So if you there are partners with the NFL. Um, so yes. if you listen to a football game uh, on the radio, it's a Westwood One broadcast. Uh, so yeah, very fortunate to have worked with some very marquee 
customers and marquee clients, and then to integrate national advertisers into that mix. So I've read a blog that you've just put on LinkedIn, and we'll put a, show, uh, a link in the show notes to it, where you said 2001 is actually a seminal year for podcasting. But obviously, the first podcast was created way back, if we can say way back, in 2004, we think, something like that. And of course, yes, there has been this complete explosion in podcasting since then. All the reports are saying something like 40% of the adult population in both the US and the UK are listening to a podcast at least, you know, once a month. How have you seen this kind of medium change over your career? Yeah, you're right. Podcasting has been around for a while now, but in the way that the Roman calendar measures before Christ and after death, season... (laughs) Season one of Serial was year zero for podcasting. You really can't overstate its importance as an industry demarcation point. So just going back in time, all the way back to 2004, before Serial, a lot of podcasting was dominated by comedians. It was a lot of white males that were in podcasting, and they were using podcasting as a format to test new material and to promote their shows. So Mark Maron and Joe Rogan are examples of early adopters of the format. And in fact, they are both still among the most influential podcasters that are still around. I think serial is important for a variety of reasons. First, the serialized and journalistic approach to telling the story was so different for so many people. It brought so many people into podcasting as listeners, and it really invited a whole new class of storytellers to the medium. And secondly, and I think this is really critical, the hosts of the show are female. It broke the creator mold. So today, podcast listenership and creation is far more gender balanced, and the quality of the storytelling has increased significantly. There's something to be said about recording from your garage like Mark Maron does, but the layers that Serial and shows that followed have brought to the storytelling has expanded the audience uh, significantly. And then I think the other consideration, I know that this is the answer to all modern questions, but smart devices unlocked listening. It made the content more accessible and more importantly, uh, more portable. You combine this with apps like Spotify, Pandora, and Amazon investing heavily in the space, and the discovery of content has never been easier. And I expect all these trends to continue into the future. I'm so glad that we're already talking about Serial. Now, I'm going to imagine there might be a listener that hasn't listened to Serial, but it's hard to imagine, but there must be someone out there. We'll put a link to the first season of Serial in the show notes. It must come with a health warning. Because what happened to me was that when it was recommended to me all those years ago, I don't know if I slept for, I can't remember how many nights I didn't sleep for. It's so addictive. It draws you in, in a way that I don't think hardly any content has ever done in the, in recent years. I don't know what the magic formula was, all the things you're talking about, but if if, if anyone hasn't listened to it, then it's just audio content and its finest, would you agree? <laughs> It's brilliantly done, and and I think it's it's the show is brilliantly structured. It's structured in a way where it's it's a season, right? So it's it's really it was the first podcast, in my opinion, that modeled a lot of how our video behavior is. So in the way that you might watch Breaking Bad in like two weeks, you'd catch up on the whole season, you'd binge watch it. You could binge listen to Serial, and it was really the first podcast that enabled you to do a whole season, and it was all connected, and it was beautifully constructed, and it it was a very gripping, real story, and they were able to sort of update the story in real time because it started to garner just so much 
international, but definitely here in the United States, a lot of national attention. Um, and so there was a lot of different facets at play that contributed to its success. But it really sort of, in my opinion, was the first show that mirrored how we might consume video content. Mm, and it became yeah. an analogous experience, I think, for a lot of people who hadn't yet experienced podcasting as a preferred content format. But of course, now, I mean, certainly here at AB, we are creating more and more podcasts. And as you say, there has been this kind of massive explosion in it, but for, particularly for internal audiences. And I just wonder from your perspective, because you've seen sort of, you know, all kinds of podcasts produced for all kinds of niche audience groups. What do you think the attraction is of using podcasts and audio for those employee audience groups? What's driving the popularity of podcasting internally? It's really a combination, I think, of the two prior questions. The first is that podcasts are the consumer behavior that enterprise can actually mirror. Like, I've never met a regular person say, you know, I really hope I get another cryptic memo from HR today. (laughs) Or, yeah, the weekend is great and all, but I won't have any Zooms to sit in on. You know, you mentioned this just before, but, you know, in the question, 40% of adults in the U.S. and the U.K. have listened to a podcast in the last month. But there's research that shows that 83% of corporate workers want to hear from their companies via podcasts. Wow. Professionals over-index against the general population with respect to podcast listening. And guess what? The data suggests that peak podcast listening is during working hours. So your colleagues and employees are already listening to audio during work. You combine this with the fact that so many companies are trying to convey empathy to their employees. They're increasingly Mm. thoughtful of Zoom fatigue, are seeing low engagement on emails, and are trying to communicate with distributed and virtual workforces. Audio, because of the authenticity, because of its scalability and who can participate from a creation perspective, is checking an awful lot of boxes for businesses that are looking for new and meaningful ways to engage with their, their first audience. Yeah, it's so funny. We have a we have quite a powerhouse a guru, I suppose you'd call him in internal in the internal comms world called Shell Holtz. But I remember when he was on the podcast, I'm sure he said, you know, no employee wakes up in the morning and jumps out of bed and thinks, gosh, before I do anything, I must check the intranet. It just doesn't happen. But as you say, we can convey so much more with audio and those stats are fascinating. So for listeners who are thinking about taking their first kind of baby steps into creating audio content for the first time. What's your advice? You've seen a lot over your many, many years. What are the common challenges or stumbling blocks? How maybe we can help people preempt those? What advice could you give? And of course, there's so many different formats out there. So, you know, are some more successful than others? How do you pick a format? The consideration, I think, is whether or not this is for internal or external audiences. So externally, let's start there, even though this show is about internal communications. Externally, I think companies often start with the creative concept and never really develop the business case. How are you defining success for the project? What are the outcomes that you're trying to drive? How are you going to measure these outcomes? Like if you create a beautiful podcast that no one listened to and you couldn't measure ROI, did a beautiful podcast actually get created? Good question. It's about the tree falling in the woods, isn't it? Really? 100%. 100%. And it's really exciting to, you know, workshop and storyboard and do all these things. But if you're not set up to measure the success and you don't understand the outcomes, you, you've wasted a lot of time and energy. For internal use, I think the biggest challenge from what I'm observing is around who is actually hosting the podcast. This is where a lot of enthusiasm tends to stall out. And I think there's two tricks to this. The first is, let's say that it's an executive that's going to be the voice or the host. Don't call it audio. 
Call it a podcast. Call it a show. Give it a special name. Identify a music bed. Create original cover art. Do all of these things for an internal podcast. If you create original IP and you call it a show, you'll get the executive to buy in because they'll have ownership over the execution. It will feel real and not just another communications motion that they're being nagged about. And please, 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 please publish this podcast at a repeatable cadence. It's okay if it's only once a month, but commit to the first Wednesday of the month, for example. Let your audience know the who, what, where, why of that podcast. The second consideration for an internal podcast is that you, the head of internal communications at your firm, you don't need to be the content creator. I think this is a really unique opportunity to elevate voices from within your company to contribute content. Did you know that the manager of the supply chain already hosts her own podcast and would love to talk about sustainability at the company? Did you know that the associate in enablement has an undergraduate degree in audio engineering and misses being at the controls? I think this is an opportunity for internal communicators to be the moderators of the content. You're at the controls of what gets published. It takes the pressure off of you to write all the copy. This is a really cool and potentially powerful way to elevate the voices across your company. And then with respect to what type of formats, once you've empowered your colleagues, your managers, your employees to be at the, at the wheel, they will determine the format for themselves. Your job then in internal communications is to make sure that they're putting out the right type of content, but allow them to say, this is going to be an interview show where I interview colleagues of mine about their special talent that no one knows about because no one ever asked them. That's a really successful show. Yeah, that's an interview style show, right? Such good advice, listeners, right there. Two things I want to pick up on. So right about the fact that you don't just have some audio content, you have a show and why not develop that into a kind of news brand, you know, give it a name, give it an identity. And I think so often when I'm doing research on which channels are effective, which pieces of content are effective, which campaigns frequency comes up time and time again, because once there is no cadence and they don't know when they saw the last one and they don't know when they're going to see the next one, you really have lost loyalty there with your reader, your listener. So I think frequency and committing to that is is so important. So thank you for that advice. Clients will often ask me how to distribute this kind of content because what they want is they want it behind their corporate firewall. So they'll want it on a channel like SharePoint or Slack or Yammer. So you have a a really unique solution. This is all about the kind of the pipe work, the technology behind the content at Venly. Can you explain to me how your technological solution solves that problem for organizations? Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about our work and thank you. It's incredibly gracious of you. So let's start with what most companies seem to be doing today, right? Which is they are posting an MP3 to their internet or Slack. In its worst case, there are security issues with this because the content frequently can be downloaded and repurposed by a bad actor. And in its best case, you don't get any listener insights on an MP3. So you're doing this communications motion without any line of sight into how the communications is actually performing. It's just anecdotal. There's a lot of podcast-specific technology now, and these providers are focused on distributing to Apple and Spotify. And increasingly, their features are on supporting sponsorships and other forms of monetization. So you can retrofit some sort of consumer podcast play, but it's not built for you. It's not designed for you. They are frequently not premium solutions. The players are wonky. It's a very complicated, ill-fitted type of solution for enterprise. 
our platform is designed for business. And our driving thesis is that we believe that your audio should live in the flow of work with privacy, security, and listener insights. So in our platform, and it's called Venly, V-E-N-N-L-Y, the admin can either approve or deny podcast content. So even in the scenario where you're inviting employees from throughout the work to record podcasts, that content gets uploaded directly by the uh, content creator from wherever they are. You can listen to that before it gets published and before it gets distributed. So you have control over what content actually ends up on your channels. Once it's published, the content can be shared to your internal channels, either through an embeddable player, which comes in two sizes, and that's as, as simple as pulling a line of script. You can disable sharing and approve specific domains for the embedded content. And this means that if your internet page is katie.sharepoint.com, you can approve that domain. And the only place on the internet that that piece of content can be listened to is katie.sharepoint.com. Right. A approving a domain completely locks that content to the page and the content can't be shared or downloaded. Slack works a little bit differently because we have a direct integration with the platform. For Slack, you would share a player link right into the workspace, and our tech authorizes all of the associated users with that company workspace. Only authorized users of the workspace can access the player, so it's totally private, and it works on both on your computer and mobile device the same way. From our conversations, a huge challenge for internal communicators is context switching. You've asked your employees to treat Slack, SharePoint, et cetera, as a source of truth for the company. Audio is a different content format, but it shouldn't require a different context for consuming it. Our audio players, whether they're embedded or shared to Slack or mobile responsive, and they've been optimized for your team to listen, whether they're at their desk or out for a walk. So I hope that answered your question, but I tried to do it in as non-technical a way as possible. It makes perfect sense. We often say, be where the audience is. And so that's exactly what that technology is allowing you to do. It's an embed that content where you've already got your traffic, presumably. That's how it, that's how it works. It sounds yeah, 100%. And then again, setting security standards and privacy standards against that and understanding listener engagement on every single piece of content that gets published, whether it's being shared to SharePoint or Notion or Slack, you understand mm -hmm. exactly how people are engaging with that, with that piece of content. Which brings us very neatly on to the subject of measurements and listener insights. How would you advise clients to measure success? And I know that's a very big question, but you know we often try our best to calculate the return on investment of our of our activities. Do you have advice for listeners on measuring success? Yeah, I mean, right now ROI in audio is mostly defined as uh, plays per piece of content. And this is a pretty table stakes metric. And one of my biggest frustrations as an operator in podcasting has been that it's very hard to connect desired outcomes with the content. So on this player that I just described that can live on SharePoint and Slack and all these different channels, and this is true, by the way, for both Slack and the player that embeds, um, there's a call to action button that can be customized on a per piece of content basis. This button lives right on the player. So for example, the head of HR might share a podcast and the CTA would be to nominate a colleague as part of a hero's type of initiative that a lot of companies have. The CTA button might have a link to a form that accepts nominations. The CEO might share a podcast and the CTA would be to take a pulse survey. The head of marketing might share a podcast and the CTA might be to like or share a company post on LinkedIn and the CTA would link to that given LinkedIn post. So for us, ROI isn't listens per piece of content, but rather actions per piece of content and there are different high value actions across the organization, our platform enables the management and customization across these different functions. 
With respect to measurement, because we're both the hosting provider and the audio player, we're able to pass back a ton of valuable insights for communicators by creator and on a per piece of content basis. I think one really interesting insight is that many companies use Slack and an intranet. Using our platform, they can share content to both places and see engagement metrics by destination over time. So for example, 40% of listening is happening on Slack, but that content is listened to within a day of posting. Whereas the balance of the listening is happening on the intranet, but the consumption is more long tail there. Many internal communications professionals don't have that level of channel specific insights on a per piece of content basis. And one of the things that we've seen is that content from the CEO doesn't always perform as well as content that's created by a peer. Leveraging insights to drive content strategies, to elevate voices within your org has added just a ton of unintended benefit as part of the ROI equation. Yeah, there's so much in that answer you've given us there. So absolutely insight so that we can take evidence-based decisions on, on guests, on topics, on whatever it is, because we know what people are really listening to and what's really engaging them, number one. And we talk a lot about measurement and the difference between measuring sort of outputs and outcomes. So and clicks and listens and consumption rates, all very interesting, but tends to be much more output focused, where if you've got a call to action button, you're doing something much deeper. You're measuring the impact on behavior there, which I think is so much, so much more powerful. I think one thing that I don't see companies doing a ton of is internal thought leadership. So they invest a lot in their blog, in their medium strategies, in their LinkedIn strategies, and they have all their subject matter experts and they publish all this blog content and video content and, and audio content too, externally, right? But your employees are your first audience and your employees also want to know that they're working for the best and the brightest, that they are part of this conversation. And I think there's a real opportunity when you think about, well, what, where should I start? What content should I start with? There's a lot of different places to go, but internal thought leadership, elevating subject matter experts, inviting partners, customers, investors, depending on the size of your company, you know, inviting them into that conversation and using that as a vehicle to you know, demonstrate you know, wisdom and insight and, and futuristic thinking for your employee base, I think is very, very underrated. And then connecting that to some sort of critical call to action is a huge opportunity and a pretty straightforward place to start. I love that so much. And I think it's worth saying at this point that you may be a specialist in making a certain type of technology, a certain product for a certain consumer base, and you're thinking your thought leadership could be around that. Yes, absolutely. That makes sense. But within most organizations, there are brilliant experts in finance, risk, R&D, investor relations, you name it. So, you know, I think you can think quite broadly about thought leadership in terms of all the experts that you might have across your organization that's going to help build that employer brand. One of the most successful podcasts that any of our partners are creating, and success being defined by listens and then also actions taken on that piece of content, is an interview with the head of communications. It's a once-a-month interview. The head of communications interviews the head of engineering. It's a technology company. And the show is called Talk Nerdy to Me. <laughs> I love it. And the entire concept, it's a 10-minute podcast. It's once a month. And the head of engineering will talk about product updates, engineering updates, what's in the pipeline from a technical roadmap perspective. And the whole point is to demystify, because even though this is a technology company, not everyone in the company, in fact, most people in the company are not technical. 
and they mm. need to have an understanding. And so, yes, they will do the all hands, they will do the memos, they'll do the trainings, they'll do all of that stuff. But what they've found is that this is a format to speak in a very human way about the work. And that because the head of communications is not technical, she's asking questions in a lay type of fashion. And it's just been very, very popular amongst um, amongst the, the, the employees at this company. And they see incredible engagement on that piece of content. That's like a, a way to elevate a subject matter expert internally, I think, in a very meaningful and important way. I've just had a flashback moment because um, we didn't have podcasting because I'm going back now probably nearly 20 years. But this would have been a fantastic way of getting over this problem. I was on a factory floor and these guys were, guys and girls, were producing some kind of food stuff, some kind of, I don't know, noodles or something. I don't know. I can't remember. There was a national TV campaign about to launch and they'd seen the preview of it and they absolutely hated it. They thought it was completely wrong for the people that they were proudly making this food stuff for. And I was just thinking to myself, if you could have had the head of marketing and advertising on the show to explain in advance the thinking and the strategy behind that, it would have been so powerful. Yeah, I mean, look, there, there's a time and a place for video. I, I love video. I think video is a very important part of the marketing communications toolkit. A lot of video content, even ones that are now being done on Zoom and go into post-production, feel very sizzly, if you will. And sometimes people don't want the sizzle. Sometimes mm. they just want it in a very natural, conversational way. And I think, you know, podcasting really uniquely enables that type of communications cadence where it doesn't feel super polished. But from an internal communications perspective, you have all the benefit, right? Because it's on demand, production's pretty straightforward. You can copy, you know, you can take stuff out, you can move things around, you can have the content feel and sound the way that you want it to sound while still having this very human element to it. So not everything needs to feel like a, a sizzle reel that's going to go live on, you know, a 30-second brand spot on te television. Sometimes mm. you can have a more candid conversation, but you still have all of the controls in place so that you're putting out what you need it to sound like. Now, you walk the talk because you produce your own very successful podcast. Again, we'll put the link in the show notes called The Drip, which is all about how to caffeinate your campaigns. It's a really great listen. What have you learned personally from the experience of hosting your own show? Well, my favorite guest thus far has been this woman in Katie McCauley. Um, <laughs> that's a key, key learning. <laughs> no, I really... She'll get you everywhere. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. And, and it's been really fun to do. It's my first time hosting a podcast. I've always been on the business side of the equation. The angle for the podcast is that I wanted to stay away from future of the industry type of pontification. I right. wanted a boots on the ground show that got into the tactics. And because of that, the majority of the people that I've interviewed have been director and VP level professionals. Absolutely incredible executives, but depending on the size of the organization, not always the ones that are trotted out for the company media tour. Time and time again, I've heard from people that I've interviewed that they've shared their episode internally and that a day later, the CEO sent them a Slack saying how great they were. And if you're the director of marketing, you don't usually get 20 minutes with the CEO. Oh, wow. That's clever. People listen to company podcasts. And while I knew that regular listeners would find value in the content, an unintended but incredibly gratifying benefit has been that the podcast has helped elevate many of my guests in the eyes of their colleagues and their managers. 
that is such a powerful unintended. I love the unintended benefit though. You just said that you didn't want your show to be all about the future of the industry. <laughs> so now I'm going to ask you about the future of the industry. Of course I am. What are your predictions? I can't not ask you, can I? What are your predictions for how audio might evolve? Say over the next five years, but we don't have to be really strict with ourselves around the timeline. Uh, and I don't mind whether we take this as predictions for content internally or externally. What do we see going to happen, do you think? Yeah, well, if you'll invite me into the ivory tower, I will gladly come join you there. So podcasting is both dramatically expanding and consolidating. Um, and more people are creating and more people are listening. And I expect that to grow considerably in the, year, in the years to come. That's expansion. But the primary distribution points, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, are investing in original content and connecting that content with subscription. So this is incredible news. If you're an executive at a talent agency, there are a <laughs> lot of content deals that are getting done right now. But the implications are that businesses will have a much, much harder time getting oxygen for their podcasts on those channels. So I appreciate the flexibility on the time horizon. It's not five years. It's in the next year and a half to two years. Businesses will be treating audio as a first-class communications medium, and they'll be treating it as an owned content strategy. You will create audio for your colleagues, and that will be shared to Slack and SharePoint. You will create audio as part of onboarding and training, and that will live on Notion, Asana, and your LMS. You will create customer success stories in audio, and that will be shared to your blog and LinkedIn. You will create thought leadership content, and that will be embedded in company posts on Medium and in Reddit. I've shared a little bit about my company's technical capabilities for internal communications, but our platform also possesses external sharing capabilities like sharing audio to email and to PDF. Is your company publishing a 30-page ESG or DEI report? We're going to see companies integrate audio stories into those documents. My company's tech already supports those use cases, so a little self-serving in that example. But really innovative partners are going to be thinking about what role audio plays across their business channels in telling customer stories, thought leadership, research documents. And it's going to be a multi-channel approach and an owned content strategy, not just a distributed to Apple and Spotify strategy. And we do a lot of content. We we, we sort of um, manage and own and create lots of regular titles, digital titles, a few print titles. It's more difficult with print, but certainly on the digital side of things, you know, you can tell a story now in many different ways. So when someone, you know, opens up that title and has a read of that monthly issue, they can get the story, they can read it, they can hear a clip of the person talking about the moment when that thing happened, they can see a gallery of imagery. But the the audio content and hearing someone's words speak, spoken in, you know, a first person story and just a clip of that really does help bring the story to life. So I love the, the, the way that you say it's going to live in all kinds, in, in all kinds of manifestations, in all kinds of places. I think that's, that's such an interesting way of looking at it. Well, I think audio living in print is a very straightforward execution, actually. Oh, right? It, it's, it's a QR code. It's a QR code. Of course, it is. Wake up, Katie. <laughs> right? But I think it's really powerful, right? Go behind the scenes, learn a little bit more for more information, whatever that might be. And then it doesn't need to be a 30-minute podcast that sounds like serial. Yeah, yeah, true. It no. doesn't have to be that, right? I mean, it's beautiful if you can create that, but it takes a lot of resources and a very specific skill set. It can be this style of thing that's eight minutes long, talking a little bit more in depth about the article or the blog post or whatever that might be. And again, just to sort of like hone in on this point, that one piece of content will live maybe through a QR code on print, 
It will live on SharePoint. It will live on your consumer-facing blog. It's a function of how do you distribute it meaningfully? Can you connect all the insights together so that you understand by destination where that listening is happening? And you know, we're excited to be pioneering this space for our corporate partners. It's not. It's worth dwelling on QR codes for a little while because many years ago, when we first started to use them in print, you had to actually have a QR reader and you had to download that from the internet. Oh my goodness me! But of course, now with the technology, just open your camera and it's there. So, uh, and I think with sadly because of the pandemic, we're all using those QR codes so much more to sort of check into places and all the rest of it. So, yes, of course, you can use audio in print, guys. <laughs> Good point. So. We have a few quick fire questions at the end of the show. Are you up for those, Brian? I, I, I hope so. <laughs> My first question of those quick fire questions, what would most surprise people about Brian Landau? Oh, so I have to say, I don't think that I have much mystery about me. <laughs> I think it's made me a great partner, friend, colleague, and manager, but it's definitely made me a terrible rapid-fire participant. <laughs> I think people more or less know what I'm about at all times. You're an open book. 100%. What do you wish you had known when you first started out in your career? So it turns out that corporate recruiters and headhunters really care what companies you've worked at in the past. Like, who knew? <laughs> I'm very proud of my career, but I've worked at startups and for companies that most people have never heard of, right? I imagine many of your listeners have never heard of Westwood One, even though it's a very big, important media company. I don't have any regrets, but I might have considered a few years at a place like Google or Microsoft or American Express just to get that name recognition on my resume. Uh, I think many recruiters look for that outside validation when evaluating candidates. And I wish I had known that when I was 21 years old. And when I do mentoring of college-age students, I always say, you know, maybe mm. a place like Oracle is a good place for you to start your career. Um, go work at a big bank if you want to work in finance before you go into venture capital, for example. Go get that type of brand experience. They, those big companies, you know, it wasn't for me, and I don't think it, it would have been for me, but um, they do a really good job of training you and you have a really great network and then you have this very important brand potentially on your resume for the rest of your life. So what book, oh, it doesn't have to be a book, it could be a website report, it really doesn't matter, but what should all marketing comms professionals read? Yeah, my, my answer for this is maybe a little non-traditional. There's a very famous, iconic basketball coach named John Wooden. He's no longer alive, but he was the coach at UCLA for many years and he won something like 10 championships in 12 years. He's considered one of the great American coaches of any sport to have ever lived. He's written several books, but one in particular is called On Leadership. It's not a communications book, but it is about leadership styles and how you communicate. And it's not that he says anything especially revelatory, but he does write in this really unmatched fluency. Wow. Uh, it's been influential in my professional life, and I'd encourage anyone, even those who know nothing about basketball, don't care about basketball, to give it a read. I think you'll definitely take uh, a lot from it. Thank you. So here's one. What would you do tomorrow if you knew for certain you couldn't fail? We take failure off the table. Go on a family vacation <laughs> and not get COVID. <laughs> In a pandemic, it's, uh, you know, it's low stakes really now. It's, it's high stakes to do very simple things. So we took, uh, I, have, I have little kids, uh, and as your your listeners probably tell them, and here in the United States or North America anyway, I'm, I'm based in the New York area, and we took my young kids to Disney World in Florida two months before the pandemic started. It was right around Christmas time. 
And so now my, my young daughter is asking weekly when we're going back to Disney World. Oh. And I'm like, probably never, kiddo. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm just not doing that anytime soon. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'd go to, we'd go on a family vacation. And if you could guarantee me that everything would be safe and healthy and we'd have, we'd have a good time, I'd probably go do that. Yeah, I think a lot of listeners are going to be nodding along at that answer. So finally, Brian, we give you a billboard. It's a bit of a metaphorical billboard, but basically it's yours to put a message on for millions to see. What's your message going to be? Working with Brian Landau is both gratifying and affordable. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. That was the last email I sent you, Katie. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. My, my fault. You, you know what people need to know? This has like always rankled me. It's espresso, not expresso. <laughs> That's fine. You can put that on a billboard. So it always, you know, we get it right in future. E-S-P-R-E-S-S-O. Not expresso. It's not super fast. It's espresso. <laughs> People need to know it. It always bothered this, me. This is going to be the most original billboard answer we've had so far, which I love. Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure, as I knew it would be, to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's a great privilege to be here with you, and thank you so much for the time. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Internal Comms podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be really grateful if you could show your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. This isn't just vanity metrics on my part, I promise. The way the algorithms work, the more ratings we have, the more discoverable the show becomes for other IC pros out there. For the show notes to this episode, including a link to Brian's podcast and serial, head over to the show notes at abcomabcowm.co.uk forward slash podcasts. I should also mention that AB has distilled its podcasting experience into a simple step-by-step guide to planning, launching and producing IC podcasts. So if you'd like a copy, simply email me at katie, K-A-T-I-E, at abcomabcowm.co.uk. Now, we have some great guests lined up for the rest of the season, a really interesting mix of in-house practitioners, advisors and consultants. So you might want to hit that subscribe button today. All that remains is to say a special thank you to all of those who reach out to me on LinkedIn and Twitter to say how much you're enjoying the show. Listeners, your feedback means the world to me and I do try to respond to every comment. So until we meet again, lovely listeners, stay safe and well. And remember, it's what's inside that counts.